Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and I am welcoming Jessica Alba today, who is just such a boss lady, incredible businesswoman, founded The Honest Company to care about ourselves, our babies, and our world. And she also has three kids, ages 4, 10, and 13. So she is deep in, and we're talking about raising good humans and a little bit of an emphasis on raising teenagers. Don't forget, if you haven't already, sign up for DrAliza.Bulletin.com, and there'll be video footage and extra content from this episode and lots of listener Q&As and interactive conversations and summaries of the podcasts in case you just want to read up on bullet points and tips and strategies to put into practice the content from the podcast. If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to give a five-star rating, write a little review about what you liked, and DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And now I just want to bring on my wonderful guest, Jessica Alba, who is in it with us. This year, what we all have to adjust to is that I think we've been waiting for things to go back to normal for a couple of years now. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. But I think the adjustment <laughs> is like, what are we comfortable with that we just can't know? We just can't know. And my hope is that in the larger picture, it's helping us prioritize everything. The idea of what matters to us is getting highlighted and sort of our window of tolerance of discomfort, we're growing that window. And for kids, I do think there is an opportunity for resilience building. So I'm not, it's not totally bleak, but this is, there's no question. This is Yeah, it's challenging. I also just because like, I guess sort of just thinking about values, right? And ethics and morals and having a moral compass. It felt like there was like a disconnect. It was like, yeah, that's a nice to have in life, but like, doesn't mean you're not going to be successful if you don't have Mm -hmm. it. And I think what we're sort of dealing with here is you kind of don't really have anything else (laughs) because ultimately when you're isolated and you don't have the luxury of being able to just freely go out into the world without the tension that you could possibly 
get sick or get someone else very sick. There's a consciousness now that is just layered on top of everyone's day-to-day life. And so that moral compass or your values or your ethics are front and center. And it doesn't really matter, you know, where you were born, how much money you have, how much access you have, or lack thereof. Everyone's, it sort of like evens the playing field. And then it's just down to the core essence of your soul, right? And for some, that's being completely connected to your family. For others, it's being connected to self-care. For others, it's a a religion or a a spiritual practice or a combination of all. So, What is it for you, if I may ask? (laughs) Yeah, I would say that it's a combination. I've always lived with a moral compass, though. I've always had my ethics and values sitting at the square between my eyes. I've had a inner turmoil and dialogue since I can remember. I remember being three years old and trying to, you know, communicate with my parents why it's better to talk to me about something versus me getting spankings and how I res- will respond better to that than this and where my truth and my values sit. And so I I think I've always operated that way. I don't know if everybody does. And so I can't pretend that that everyone is, but I just know, I just know my truth, I guess. Here's the thing. My parents were very young when they had me and they, they were teenagers when they got pregnant. There weren't self-help or like parenting books back then, right? Like they were just literally in survival mode and they were living inside of their own dynamics of what it meant to even be independent of their parents and now in a relationship with each other, which is a, was a new dynamic. And then immediately they had a kid, um, which we all know sort of like really complicates and compounds your survival instincts without ever really going through the process of self-reflection or any of that to have an understanding or context, they were just in survival mode. And so I think when you're young in survival mode and you don't have a ton of tools, you operate a certain way. By the way, there's a house that is being torn apart next door. So there's drilling. Guys, there's drilling. It's fine. So the background noise for all of you listening is there's a house. I think they put in an illegal pull and and they were notified by the city that they got to take that motherfucker out. So <laughs> that is what's happening. Uh, so excuse the, the drilling. But yeah, I mean, I think my parents did the best they could. I think for a long time, I held a lot of resentment and hurt and I had to come around to my own healing to like really get the full picture. But ultimately they did the best they could. I grew up in a house of like speak when you're spoken to, mm-hmm. you know, just the overarching parenting. Uh, and I would say my parents broke through and they they tried to be different than their parents, but would often fall back on a lot of the same sort of stuff. And also because I was babysat a lot by family members who also reinforced this type of 
behavior. So it's like kids speak when they're spoken to. You're basically treated like a third-class citizen. If there were hierarchies, it's male, it's adults, you know, and then it's, you know, children. And it's very like patriarchy and like the men really dominate the conversation and the way things are done, even though the women really were the ones running stuff. It was like in secret. And then, you know, underneath it all, you had the kids that were just sort of like an annoyance unless they can do something that, you know, would make said parent proud. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think everybody was just in survival mode for a long time. And there was a lot of spanking and yelling and stress with not having money and living paycheck to paycheck and that dynamic. And also my parents have a very passionate dynamic. They love to fight and make up. It is their dynamic. Um, That's the vibration they operate Mm -hmm. on. And that's really scary for a child who doesn't know what that is. You know, we want, uh, children want more of like a steady state, consistency and safety and safety to like express yourself and have, you know, opinions that might, you know, go far right or far left and then have guidance to bring you back into like a middle mm-hmm. of, of understanding and letting you sort of, you know, figure it out yourself a little bit, but then nudging this way and that and nudging that way. And but creating a safe place for them to discover themselves, right? And I've learned that with my own kids. There are three kids at different ages and very different stages in life, but also very different personalities. And so I've, I've learned that. But like, again, all of that was just not really put into consideration with how my parents, how they were raised and then also how they raised us. But they did do the best they could. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor, talk space. Okay. So Valentine's day is coming up. People are thinking about relationships. So much of our lives revolve around relationships. That's kind of the center of what we talk about on raising good humans podcast, but the kind of relationship I'm talking about right now is with significant others and having someone you trust and love to talk to is more important than ever, but even the most stable and healthy relationships can hit a few bumps in the road. In fact, they need to. We've all been there, feeling unheard, having the same arguments over and over, or just not knowing how to move forward. Talkspace gives you unlimited access to a licensed therapist so you can clear up the confusion and focus on what matters most. Talkspace is a great resource for challenges in relationships, especially when you can't quite pinpoint what the problem is. There's no blueprint for a perfect relationship, but there is support. And Talkspace makes it easy to connect with a therapist that can give you valuable and honest insight on what you're going through. It gives you the benefits of traditional therapy without the hassle and waiting. If you need some perspective, check out Talkspace. Join Talkspace today and start the journey to happier, healthier relationships. Just visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use the promo code HUMANS at sign up. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com, promo code HUMANS. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you do, and no one is better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare, all the things that weren't working, and said, that's enough. 
and they made booking great doctors surprisingly pain-free. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you does not need to be the miserable experience it tends to be. Will they take your insurance? Will they understand your needs? Will they actually be available for you to see them in the time frame that you need? There are also some amazing doctors out there, but the ones that matter are the ones who actually take your insurance. And with ZocDoc, you can focus on finding the amazing doctors who are in your network. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time and slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're actually booked. Find the doctor that's right for you. Your health is critical. Book an appointment that works for your schedule. In this chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoccom slash humans, zocdoc.com slash humans. You really just captured two types of parenting styles. When you talked about your own and when you talked about your parents, it sounds like they were more authoritarian and you're more authoritative. And I'm just curious, and we can get into that parenting style a little bit, but what is Cash's overall parenting style? And like, how was, was his experience? Yeah, he has a different experience, a very different experience than I do. His mom moved to France when he was six and his sister was eight. And he like, you know, stayed with his dad here and then sort of like spent holidays and whatnot with his mom and his mom would, you know, sort of come back and forth. And his dad is like one of those dads that would like write, you know, pack his lunch every day and like write like a mantra or a note or a quote or a poem in each one of their lunches every day, you know, that was like meaningful to their growth. And like, basically I see you and, you know, his mom is very free and like very much like the, a hippie spirit and was like, you know, fell in love with someone who lived in France and wanted that adventure. And that's, what she did. And um, we have a, a lot of the same values when it comes to family and raising our kids. I think that, you know, I probably do a bit more of the nurturing thing. And I think for him, he's like, if they're getting good grades <laughs> and they seem like they're pretty happy. Um, and they're like not getting in trouble. Like I kind of give them that independence. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and where I'm a little bit more like, let me look at your texts. Like, how do you feel about this dynamic with your friend or what's really going on with the teachers? And why do you feel that way? And I like to unpack a little bit more with them on a regular basis. So that I think that there's a little bit of a difference there. Mm -hmm. You know, he's really about consistency, like a consistent routine is is really something he prides himself on where like a consistent routine I think is important, but also like I don't think that replaces the checking in with the with the soul mm -hmm. stuff. I think the consistent routine is is good for stability and you know that, but 
but I still think that there's like the person you need to nurture and help them as they try to understand and process just their own feels, hormones, friendships, Mm -hmm. dynamic. Yeah. All of that. And you have a four-year-old and four, 10 and 13. 13. So how's that going? (laughs) You know, I, it's interesting because I think when I had the, when I had the spread of, you know, the ages in my mind, I think I didn't, we, we didn't really plan the first two. And it's interesting because I was like, this is a great age gap because Honor, my oldest 13-year-old, she got to be like a full baby kid toddler. Mm-hmm. And by the time she was like going to school during the day and she was like potty trained and she could like have lollipops, right? Without me thinking she was going to like choke or something. That's when baby sister came. So she really got to be the baby in, in, in every form and fast. And by the time she was really into like little girl, then the baby came. So they never had to fight for the attention of, of who's the baby mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, of course there's a little bit of regression every time you bring a baby into the dynamic, but I, I just didn't understand that gap probably until eighth grade for honor this year. I'm like <laughs> the difference between <laughs> yeah, that's right now. <laughs> the 8th grade 13-year-old her needs, her emotional needs, her intellectual needs. I don't know, this it's just like a very interesting rich in the feels stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of like the 10-year-old 5th grader stuff which is the beginning of the hormone shift and the awakening of this like next stage of self and honors like right into in the thick of it. And so they just are, are at very different stages. And then the baby, he, he's not a baby, he's four. He's a baby. Right. He's very cute. And he just like wants to play and he just wants to like cuddle and play and for us to be like present and in the moment with him playing cars or, you know, going on an, ad, you know, imagination adventure and just running around the yard. And like, he just, he has so much energy, but that's him. Right. And they all want, like, it's interesting when they see me going in with one of them, then the other one comes and tries to come and get that attention. And then the other one, and it's like, it's really funny. I see how my oldest now deals with it. She'll just retreat to I was her about room. To ask, like, is she, so does she just go opt for the classic 13 year old experience? Yeah. When she sees she's not getting that, or if there's, mm-hmm. when that feeling comes on, I can see her sort of retreat. And then the 10 year old, she'll still kind of try to pull in and dabble in. And, but I'm kind of struggling with like, how do you give them the freedom to be independent and do their thing? But being independent for them always means being on a text chain or a video game. And like, what are some ways to like get them to do something else? (laughs) Like you're not (laughs) micromanaging how they're spending their time, but could they spend their self design time in any way outside of texting or gaming kind of thing. Exactly. And I think what's 
what's what I struggle with is like anytime I ask them to, they they're like, why am I in trouble? Like it's a punishment to do something. It's a punishment mm-hmm. to not be on their phones. Right. Well, I mean, honestly, a t- even a 10 year old, like asking a 10 year old what feels reasonable in terms of screen time, certainly an eighth grader, what feels like in your dream world, what would you carve out as appropriate screen time parameters out of curiosity, like genuine curiosity? And if the answer is like 24 hours a day, then you could say, okay, well, given that I, like, I'm your mom and I, it's my responsibility to make better parameters than you might choose what's your more realistic sort of wish list there and then once you can operate in in a framework that feels like they're they're being heard for what what feels appropriate you can still say okay that's too much but i can give you a little more than what i would have chosen perhaps and then here's a list of things for you to make that are non-screen related activities that you like to do baking uh playing a game, like whatever it is, and maybe drawing Mm -hmm. and and it may be nothing. It may be that the answer is, well, without screens, I am genuinely miserable and stuck, in which case it's a challenge to work on. Like, okay, well, let's grow that list. Like, what are things that you think I could be interested in that? This was a suggestion for women to do from a recent episode with this awesome woman, Eve Rodsky, who just wrote Find Your Unicorn Space. But I think it would be really interesting with an eighth grader, which is go to the bookstore, like the good old fashioned, like go to Barnes and Nobles or like some big enough bookstore where you can actually see whole sections and say, if you have nothing to do and nobody's looking or judging or thinking, what section are you going into? And that's a, you know, a way to find like, what are my interests when you know, you, your interest for the most part. And even if that interest is the section is on something that you were kind of not hoping for, if you're off screens and you're like, this is a section about screens <laughs> or whatever, it's an opportunity to discover and explore and then be open to, okay, you thought you think that looks interesting. We can get materials for you to get good at that or work on a new hobby. It doesn't have to be a hobby. I just fully made that up but just something to get to know yourself. Like, I don't know what I like to do when I'm not on screens. And then recognizing that texting with your friends for an eighth grade, particularly eighth grade girl, even though I probably will cut that out for saying it, is like an epically important part of your day. So it is some balance between honoring that because we used to talk on the phone for hours and that's just a different, it's just their different version. And also saying, I have to give you parameters. Like if I don't contain your natural instinct to want to connect with your friends, which is wonderful, you will not be healthy enough. And my job is of course, first and foremost, to make sure you're healthy and safe so that you can then be seen and connected and operate in the world in a healthy way and finding breaks even if it's something that they don't like, but you're just like, it's not a punishment. It's one of those things that you can choose any of these activities. And if you can't think of any, and we go to a bookstore and look at the different sections and still nothing is interesting, what about I'll just write some down and you could do any of those things right now off screen and I will not bother you. Like have at it. And sometimes it's just getting comfortable with the fact that your 13 year old thinks you suck in that moment. But 
that's okay. Yeah. It's interesting. My, so I did a version of that and I would say like they both had, I think it's like around an hour and a half for the 10 year old and two hours for the 13 year old. But my 13 year old doesn't consider, like you said, being on FaceTime or the group chats as screen time. Totally. She's like, literally, this is socializing. Right. And she will even do like four hours of homework and she has her phone on and they're on like a five person. Totally. They're doing it together. Screen time. Yeah, they do it together. And, and I'm just like, I guess it's okay. But then, you know, she's still texting at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Right. And, you know, Cash is like, she gets good grades. She likes to read. She draws. Like, she's a good person. She talks to us about what's going on in the world. Like, we shouldn't sort of restrict that until it becomes a problem. But I don't know. It still, like, feels wrong to, like, have her. I was like, I'm also like, it's like a weird, it's just something I need to get over. No, I mean, I think it's both. I think it's somewhere in between. All of those things are true, except it's very reasonable at to pick a time. And let's say it's 10 o'clock that you're like, you, I have not said a thing about the phone. You're getting your homework done. You're doing the things you need to do. You've moved enough today, but you turn in the screens at whatever time like is realistic. And that's just like bumpy mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. I mean, on balance, kids are less anxious when you have a clear line about things, but it's thought out and it's taking into account what you said, which is she's not, that's not her two hours of screen time. She's not counting that because it's her connection time too. And especially in the realities Mm -hmm. of today, but I don't think, I think that's an end also at this hour, nobody needs to be on screens anymore. Like it's just not healthy for you. Right. And so even if you're a good kid and getting up on time and getting to bed on time and doing your homework and all of that, that means, yes, you can sort of be in charge of how often you're on FaceTime and texting and whatever, because during the, the day and evening, because you're getting what you, you're responsible, but I'm still, for all of us, we're taking the screens at this hour. And then you decide what that hour is and they turn it into you. And that's that because it's near impossible to just turn your screen off of your own volition with a teenage brain. Like it's just, you, right. you almost can't make that sense. And my 10-year-old is like, acts a lot like the 13-year-old. <laughs> like she's resembling a lot of the same behaviors and falling into those routines. And I think it's because she has the older sister that she's like modeling her behavior after. And so that's also like a major struggle is like, you can't do the same thing as your 13-year-old sister. Like, so it's just, she's she's quickly scooted into this like... <laughs> teenage mode. And I'm constantly like, dude, like you're not 13. You have to earn these, not rights, but like, uh, there's stages, yeah. you know, what's appropriate for you based off of your development and, and what you're exposed to. And she doesn't read willingly like her sister. She doesn't go and draw for hours at a time. You know, honor will slam through books, all of a sudden she's like, yeah, I finished those three books at the end of the week. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and she like says, she's like, I was bawling about this one. And she like goes into like the whole story. And so she's like different where our Haven is like watching, you know, YouTubers do pranks on each other until, you know, midnight. 
if we let her. Right. And so that's the thing is, first of all, different kids. And that is such a description of an older child right there. It's not even just developmental stages, but it's to your point, it's like temperament too. You know that this kid is probably going to need more parameters because she's not naturally inclined to do the things that she's the have tos that maybe honor just does. And so Mm -hmm. if a kid isn't naturally motivated to do the have tos, they still have to do it. It's just annoying because you have to be a little bit more on top of them to help. What was the word you used earlier? It's like, Guide. Guiding. There was some <laughs> little nudging, nudging. guiding. <laughs> yeah. Um, because otherwise, what's our job? And also, they are getting wired right now. Habits are wi- between 10 and 14 in particular. Your brain is wiring for habits. So that's another explanation, which some kids are, some teenagers want to know how their brain is working and, and find you're not arbitrarily just being someone who just doesn't understand what their experience is or like what it's like to be a teenager in this time when you just don't have the same amount of contact and touch and hang right. that other eras have had. <laughs> but, right. um, but part of it is also just, Hey, this is a wonky time because you're getting wired for habits that will be either easier or harder once you're fully formed, once your brain is fully developed between 18 and 27 a wide window. But if you set up those habits earlier, like putting your phone away at this particular time and getting off electronics and reading a book or whatever it is, moving in the morning, whatever your habit that you're trying to wire is, you're you're wiring better now than you would to rewire for it later. It just makes life easier. And that's so hard to understand because they rightfully aren't thinking about that. But it does feel good to know that there's reason behind your parameters. Right. It's not just because I said so. It's not just because I said so. You were talking about like your parents earlier, that authoritarian sort of, you do it, you do it because I said so, or if it's fear-based because you're going to get spanked, that isn't great for relationship and connection that you were talking about. But the connection is like, I love you so much that I'm not going to just arbitrarily make these, like I've thought this through and I would love your feedback so we can make it unique to each kid. It doesn't have to be that every kid is exactly this age and, you know, on this day for this particular milestone or privilege or right, whatever it is. It's just, I'm looking at you uniquely, but also considering what my job is. Right as a parent. That's, that's kind of how I explain it to them. And I do say like, especially to Haven, the 10 year old, I'm like, all right, dude, you want more screen time or you want to look at this or look at that. I'm like, I told her she's not allowed to look at social media, like TikToks and, and Instagrams. I'm like, it's not good for your brain as your brain is developing. And she's like, you know, that's so unfair and whatever she says. And I'm like, cool. Then literally do some research and write a report to me on why you need it or why you should have it. She said, well, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, okay, then, okay. Like I'm giving you an opportunity to do it. Like go. Right. I'm actually paving a path for you to. Yeah. I'm like, it can happen for you. Give me a good argument, honey. Give it to me. I'm, I'm, I'm down. That's that's Um, actually, that's a great thing to do. And then whoever take, yeah, maybe she's not taking you up on it, but. She is not. 
And then somehow it just like, she goes back into, and I'm like, damn it, you're doing it again. But yeah, no, they're, they're good kids. It's just, it is, it is tough to like know how to meet them. And then also like, I have my own needs, right. And my own sort of whatever that is, my own journey as a human, you know, then you have the relationship dynamic in a marriage and then you have relationship dynamic with parents and then relationship dynamics with friends and, and then obviously work, which takes up a huge chunk. So it just all feels, I mean, I think everybody feels that and like, what does that mean? And I think we're in this interesting time where everybody wants to do it all and we're all feeling so burnt out. Is that fair? Yes. I mean, who, somebody much younger than I am who doesn't have kids yet and who is working and looking for mentorship was saying like, how do women do it all? And I was just like, I obviously do not (laughs) do it all for one thing. (laughs) So like the thing, when you were like listing all the things, the relationship with your partner, that's a huge part of it. And then the relationship with yourself and then your work and your kids and your friends, which I'm glad you mentioned because that's so important to cultivate. And I think we all learned over the last two years how meaningful that is. So I hope for all women to, like, I hope our kids to understand or to grow up with the expectation that the goal is not to do it all or have it all so perfectly. It's really just figuring out what you like how you can best thrive. So how can you, how have you been able to do the things that you need to do for your soul? Like, what do you find you can't let go of or it lets too much of you go? Does that make sense? Let's see if my answer is answering it (laughs) or not. (laughs) Um, I kind of feel like what my sort of like spirit or journey over the last little bit has been pulling me into this area of like releasing control. So it's like, how do I achieve more joy in everyday life? Joy in my interaction with my kids, joy in my interaction with, you know, work, joy in my interaction with my family and my husband and my friends. And, and I think it's like, letting go of the need for something to, or letting go of control, I think is one piece of it. And like, what does that even mean? And then the other, and so it like puts me in a different headspace. To let go, to, um, to sort of. To let, let go. go of control. Cause that's really hard for me. It's not serving me. And frankly, it doesn't bring me a ton of joy, it's stressful. And it puts me in this like fight or flight survival mode. (laughs) And then I just like, you know, it's just like you're executing, 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 and you don't have time to just sort of like release and just be, you know, and like when I can just be in the moment, it then like leaves room for others to sort of figure out how to do stuff. And you're not having to always be the one and so that that for me is what I've been trying to figure out how to do. I it's always fun and exciting when I do like one step forward, two steps backwards. Jesus, it's like come on. Um sometimes I feel like I'm on a bit of a hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. But 
also like what got me to where I am today isn't necessarily going to get me to where I need to go in order to reach, you know, where I should be in life. And so also like understanding and, and honoring the drive and the control and the the ability to just like persevere through good times and bad times and all the times and just, you know, just drive the goal relentlessly. It served me, but you can only get so far. And I feel like in my life, it only emotionally and spiritually and intellectually and just like joy, right? And, and bringing in more love, which is where I'm at. It can't be the nexus of how I operate anymore. It can't be the core value. And I need to sort of like release whatever that is in order to be open to this next thing. So that's sort of where I'm at. <laughs> that's heavy. Um, just getting to the realization that what got you and served you is not necessarily the core components of what got you to where you are and you love where you are, are not necessarily useful for this next phase. And so how do you see yourself? And I think we can all think about those things. It's a great exercise to think about what are, you know, what part, because it does feel like you have to honor that you had that kind of capacity for persevering and just going for it and just not accepting anything but and being just growing something so incredible. And also that if you stayed in that space without adapting to where you are today and to the circumstances today, like what are those things that we have to let go of? Right. I think that's useful for everyone, just figuring out what parts of you, and you're not saying goodbye. You're just saying like, this isn't serving me in the same way right now. So I'm just going to put you aside, <laughs> put those, those traits aside. And now I'm grabbing onto, mm-hmm. because you have different goals. So do you guys have, Mm -hmm. do you have a sense of what you could let go of now? Like are, what are your top three things that you know you would like to control, but you're, you're working on just letting go of, or just releasing a bit? I mean, I think three things is, it's, it's probably like a hundred things. (laughs) That felt like, like, (laughs) but yeah, it's like everything. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't need to do that anymore. And I don't know how to like do anything else. And so it feels really like fragile being in this sort of like space of like, it's like new skin or something. And it just feels really like raw. I don't know. Because I'm like, I don't know what this is like. (laughs) And like, of course, when you, I struggle with trust and and safety those two like core kind of essential sort of like foundational things and so um i think my need to micromanage and control everything was a way to you know create the the ground underneath yeah. me of of safety and trust it's like what i could but um knowing that i need to let go of that I'm sort of like, where's my ground? Like, how can I still feel safe? And how can I still trust that I'm okay or things are going to be okay or what have you if I let go of the control? It it feels really 
fragile. I, I don't know how else to explain. No, it makes so much sense. <laughs> it's it's terrifying because when you feel like you have control over anything, you feel more safe. That's why everybody's been so insane the last couple of years is just the constant inability to control things, except for, you know, like that's why a lot of people what you know, people going through grief, people going through trauma, making routines really, really clear for yourself gives you a sense of the ground beneath you when you can't control anything else. And it's actually how, when you're letting go of the control of other people and other things and work stuff and realizing that, you know, you can control four-year-olds a little bit more than (laughs) 13-year-olds, you know, letting go of all that. It's so terrifying and vulnerable. And also there's so much more space to feel if you're going to feel joy, it means you're inviting space to feel all sorts of other stuff that don't feel right. as good as joy. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Yeah. It's party. So, um, it's party over here. It sounds great. It sounds great. No, I, 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 <laughs> I love hearing that. Cause I think this whole, I mean, I don't know what your, I, I don't know what your journey is, but I know that sounds very familiar to me when I first started doing a lot of mindfulness stuff. I was like, why is this making me not feel comfortable right now? <laughs> like, why is this? Cause it was just a lot of it, it. It's just a lot of openness that maybe when you're a little more contained, it's easier to know what you're going to get. It's easier to sort of know what's happening for you inside. Right. Like predict. Yeah. Like there's only so many things that could happen if you're. Yeah. Existing in a smaller space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I want to expand and, and be open to other things. And I and my soul is craving that growth and it's ready and it's probably been ready for a, a while. But, you know, uh, life gets you where it gets you for a reason. And I, I think this all has been a really interesting journey. I have to say, like, my kids really shifted my consciousness around purpose and awareness and self-reflection. Like, it's like, as if, if I like saw it over there in the distance, kind of my whole life, and it's like, it would come in and out depending on where I was at in my life. Once I had my kids, it was like front and center. Like this is kind of right here all the time. And, um, it's cool because it, it really like, I guess you can say it's very grounding, but it allows you to not waste time on stuff that just doesn't matter, I guess, which is really nice <laughs> considering all the, you know, in your head stuff that you do when you're younger that is just pointless, you know. That's also so hard when you're watching like an eighth grader and knowing the wisdom of many years past that time of like how much you wish we could, it's like, I wish we could take away from them the pain of worrying about the things that are just not at all important, but it's their rite of passage and we can't take it away. I know. I know it sucks. That is the hardest part about being a parent is allowing your kids to make a mistake and knowing like, when is it going to be too hard or too much or something? And then you're like, I guess nothing's too much. And even, you know, whatever 
the idea around permanent mistakes or something. I don't know. No, it's, um, yeah. But I also like it. They're not mistakes. They're lessons and they're meant to go through the challenges and it's meant to bring them out the other side. So yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing that I definitely struggle but, with. Like, <laughs> Just like, God, don't be that person. It's interesting. Like I, my 13 year old is so good at like just shutting it down. Um, tell me what you mean. Or my 10 year old. Tell me what you mean, shutting down like the noise. She's it's shutting me Shut down up. when I'm, when I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, well, this, and, and I give her, I'm like, this is going to happen. Then that's going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And that's going to happen. So, you know, da, 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 da. and then she's just like, mom, you have to let me experience things sometimes because this is my life and I'm not you. And I'm like, right. Well said, child. <laughs> Done. Mic dropped. Yeah. I'll be on the other side of the right. house. Call me when you need me. But she feels safe to tell you that. That's the win. Yeah. I mean, she really, yeah. Okay. That's the go. win. It's just yeah. in the moment, it may yeah. not feel like that. <laughs> like, shit. Okay, Honor. Sorry, dude. Sorry. But your 10 year old um, still receives. Just don't want you to hurt. My 10-year-old will let me go in and like, then we have like a little back and forth and then she, you know, will get into an argument or she'll like explore it with me and we'll like have more of that. Um, She'll get into the muckety muck where my 13-year-old just was like, think. <laughs> but I also like, just when it comes to like, it's interesting when it comes to sex and hormones and bodies and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. I do find that conversations can go into a zone with the 13-year-old that like the 10-year-old and, and actually the 13-year-old is pretty good at saying like, this is not something that, like that is, Haven should be aware yeah. of. But then Haven is even more curious, you know, whenever Honor says that and and is just like, she wants to know everything then immediately. And then, you know, when I look at, of course, I look at their the phones and the texts and the things and the back and forth and the 10 year old has some interactions where I'm just like, not cool, dude. Like, why is there this cartoon of this person doing this thing? Or like, what is that? Do you even know what that means? And like, why these lyrics to this song? And, and I go and I spy on the, not spy, but I like overtly look at the 13 year old's phone and she doesn't have that stuff in there. And if something is even starting to move in that direction, she shuts it down right away. And she says to her sister, she's like, oh, Haven, you don't even let the conversation go there. And then you remove yourself from the, tr the group chat because mom and dad are obviously going to check our phones and you don't want to have the evidence. <laughs> then she's like, and it's not like, you know, I'm saying anything, but just having the evidence is bad enough. And so she does that where like the 13 year old doesn't want to be made fun of or looked at as uncool. So She'll just sort of like let things kind of snowball or spiral. So I don't know how to deal with that. I mean, she doesn't want to look that way to her friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is especially because, you know, I think all of our instincts would be like, let's read through it together. Think of a good response, help, like let, where, where could this lead to, it, you know, all of that stuff. But in an ideal world, the reason why it's good to still have those containment rules is very much so they can blame you when they feel like they have to be uncool. So they can blame their annoying, awful, strict parent. 
And yet they're going to be so grateful, like over the next few years to be able to blame the kooky, overly strict parent who's not overly strict, but just like, it just feels so good to blame. And also to ask, like when in doubt, just ask her to tell you the story or scenario from a different perspective. So she gets it. And then, you know, I always do like, what would your wisest, nicest friends say? And what would your like kind of tricky friends say in terms of advice right here? And usually they come like, you basically are nudging, guiding them to come up with the right decision. And you're just, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Receiving it, but they'll get there. I like that. That you're, who is the, you know, your nicest friend that you respect and value the way that they communicate and see the world versus the one that is more kind of tricky and how would they see it? And then how would they, yeah, that's interesting. Just just so that we can come up with, we, I just said we, and I meant the the kid as if I'm one of the kids so that they, (laughs) so that they can practice making better choices and hearing the different perspectives. Of course, it's all them. They're coming up with it on their own in their own brain, but it feels somehow more manageable to say like, what would my wisest friend say? What would my like friend who doesn't want what's best for me say? And, you know, Mm -hmm. or someone I respect, how would they respond versus like, what would my mom tell me to do right now? Which of course, someday we will be the wise voice, hopefully in their head, but this is not now. (laughs) Right. No, you're right. Okay. I like that tactic. I haven't taken that one yet. I have said, like, just say that your mom is strict and you can't be on your phone. Next. To- me too. By the way. Or if there's any inappropriate, like, graphic things that, like, you're going to have to jump off the group text because no, your mom see can't no, see it. Like, you'll be, yeah, you'll be grounded. Just blame me. You know, <laughs> I don't care. And Honor is, like, done. She, she gets it. And Haven is, like, ugh but mom, you know, and then she fights me. So she doesn't see that it's her outs. It's such a gift, <laughs> but she's not there yet. No, do you there. think that they, like, do their peers have the same parameters or are you like, why are not the other nope. parents giving a hoot? Nope. Right. That's Same hard. Quote. Some of them do. And it's interesting because the people that honor, I would say, of her closest friendships, I would say like the two that she feels maybe most connected to on multiple levels, they have a lot of this, like they have way more boundaries than she does. Oh, that's nice. And yet she fights me when I'm like, why are you on your phone at 10 p.m.? And she Which should. Interesting. Like she very well should because you don't want a compliant kid. I mean, sometimes feels like right. it'd be nice to have a super compliant kit, but you want her to push. And then you don't want to be paper thin wall that just falls because she pushed you. She wants to know you're, you're like, yeah, you're not thrilled about this. And also mm-hmm. I didn't make this decision just for fun. Like it wasn't just to be a, right. an annoying mom. And I feel like Haven with her friends, I don't think there's any rules there. I think people gave up on their, their 10 year olds. Well, could, because of I COVID, know. I think everybody got to do Because of COVID, I think they all just like, they're like, do you, yeah. because this is crazy. And their version of like good parenting is to just let them basically do whatever they want with a device in hand. Don't you think the guilt of 
Like, I think a lot of parents have felt so guilty. Like we feel guilty that our kids have to be in this experience. And so it's making. Yeah. And like masked at school and all of that. Yeah. And so a hundred percent, we've lost our ground at like, okay, so what matters? Like, what can I still, it's very hard in the research, which is only relevant because I think it's interesting how it plays out in reality, but in the research on parenting style, this is like across cultures, continents, ages, but there's these dimensions, demandingness or boundaries or call it strictness, whatever you want to call it. And then sensitivity is on the other side. And authoritarian parents are very strict because I said so, very familiar to you but lower on sensitivity. So like harder with connections, like it's not about why and connecting and kind of targeting what is this particular child's needs. It's about the, it's more adult driven and control driven. And then there's authoritative, which is you're totally strong on boundaries and expectations, but you also are highly sensitive and that's connected to the best outcomes for kids. Like across the board if if you're interested in mental health and lower risk of addiction and better grades like all that stuff it's better it's better for that stuff and then there's the other side of it which is permissive which is so sensitive and best friend parenting but none of the boundaries and that's actually so well meaning but what i think you were talking about which is like you feel so guilty that your kids aren't happy all the time because of these unique circumstances that you're now so permissive that they're missing the important structure and boundaries that they would normally be getting. And so if we can balance it and come to that authoritative, like I provide both, that's what I, I'm providing both of those things. And sometimes you're not going to like it because I'm providing both of those things, but I am always loving you. Like this is always with this foundation of love and that for whatever reason seems to be the biggest challenge is that it's hard to think that you're being sensitive and watch your kid unhappy with you. It just feels like, Mm. am I honoring their humanity if I'm also taking the phone away at 10 o'clock? And the answer is you absolutely Mm -hmm. are. And they're not always going to be happy, Mm -hmm. but you're always like, there's this soul connection that you mentioned. And that's what keeps those boundaries from not being a controlling kind of because I said so, more right. parent. It is coming from a place of love, 100% and sensitivity, 100%. It's because I love them, frankly. Otherwise, I wouldn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Um, and it's just, so. but that is hard on, because it's also interesting for teenagers. There's so much push-pull. So you're you know, the next few years are very much like you're closer than ever and farther apart than ever and closer than ever and farther apart than ever. And our role is to stay in the same spot and they're the ones coming back and forth. And it's really hard to stay grounded when you feel battered in that way. I don't want to use the word battered, but when you feel... No, I understand. If It feels, it's brutal. It's brutal to have like that really close, tight, connected experience and then to feel like you know, they are looking at you like you're a stranger and the enemy and you've done nothing different. (laughs) Still here, right? It's just their, their, you know, flexing and figuring out their boundaries and themselves and their heart and their minds and their this and their that. 
And and so I get I get that, but it is hard being on the other side of it. And I think it's interesting to think about how to even like I'm just thinking about being able to talk with honor about that and just have an awareness, like a mutual awareness that that is the nature of what it is to go through. This. And I would say even with with Haven as well, because again, she feels like a little bit bit more advanced because she does model a lot of her (laughs) behavior off of her sister. But just to like say like, you know, this is normal. This is what you're going through. This is what you're going to go through. And it's my job to be here, your father and I, and then you guys will, there will be a bit of this. And like, we should just check in with each other because it doesn't always feel good to be on this side. And I know it doesn't always feel good to be on that side. So that's an interesting way to think about that. So thank you. I'm so grateful you came here. Thank you. 